Hi, I'm Amber Blair with Dermcast TV. We're here with Dr. Jocelyn Kirby, Associate Professor of Dermatology, Director of the Dermatology Residency Program, and Vice Chair of Education for Penn State in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And along with her, Dr. Jenny Clark, Associate Professor of Dermatology, Vice Chair of Academic Affairs, and University of Utah School of Medicine in Salt Lake City. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you. You had a busy morning and a lot of lecture that you've covered, so now we're going to just sort of hit on the main points of all of the things that you can do with dermoscopy outside of just your basic skin lesions. We talked a lot about hair and nails in your lecture. Can you share with us a little bit about utilizing dermoscopy on the scalp? So I covered some of the information related to using that dermatoscope that's in so many of our pockets all the time that we pull out to look at moles or look for basal cell skin cancers when it's on the face or the arms or the back or the chest. And so my hope was that by covering some of this information, people would realize that same tool they have with them all the time can help us with other conditions, so the scalp. And the opportunity there is to look at what's going on in the skin and with the hair, trying to especially identify and differentiate some of the different forms of alopecia that we see. So my hope was that in the take-home points, people saw the opportunities to use dermatoscopes to differentiate inflammatory skin conditions, whether it be seborrhea or psoriasis. But even before that, we also have to know what normal is. So we tried to show a lot of pictures and cover some of the material related to what does a normal scalp look like? What does the hair look like, the skin look like? And one of the important points uh, that came out of for me was learning that little dark granular dots, especially on the heads of kids, or called dirty dots, is actually really common. And they do actually go away once we help those kids uh, clean their scalps. <laughs> So when it came to the alopecia, we talked about a couple of different types of both localized forms of hair loss, such as tinea and alopecia areata. Tinea and alopecia areata, we covered some of the nuances that can help us tease apart those two different conditions. And then we also talked about uh, more generalized forms of hair loss, a couple that are non-scoring, but importantly also how dermatoscopes can help us identify early signs or even advanced signs of scarring, which until I learned how to use my dermatoscope to do that, I was left with only biopsy. And scalp biopsy is not an easy thing for the patient or the practitioner to go through. So it's really advanced my practice a lot. Absolutely. Is it something that you feel like you utilize for all of your alopecia or hair patients now? Absolutely. And, and that's something that just in the last couple of years, dermoscopy has become you know, as dermatologists, we don't carry stethoscopes, but my dermatoscope is my stethoscope in terms of absolutely needing to have it. We joked a little bit during the sessions about what if I forget to charge it? You know, to me, it feels like I'm missing a leg. You know, I, I really depend on it that much. So it has become a huge part of my practice and helped me to be more accurate. It somewhat has become my third hand as well in practice. If, I, if it dies, if that battery is not working, I, have, I struggle a little bit with it. Yeah. With the technology, how long do you feel that the learning curve is for the scalp and nails? Is this something that our members or practitioners can pick up and, and advance with fairly quickly? I think both of us can talk about our own personal experiences and picking it up. I think for me, it took me, I would say, over the course of three to six months of 
taking a lot of pictures, getting biopsies back, looking at a lot of pictures online, using some of the quiz functions like Jenny talked about to really hone my eye. So it really is a new, it's a new learning. And it's just as we learn to differentiate an AK from a basal cell, from a melanoma, we have to do these things with a new set of visual images. And it just takes a little practice and some feedback. When you're using it on the nails, tell us a little bit about the process and how that may differ from using a dermatoscope in a different area of the body. Sure, I, I don't think we always think about using the dermatoscope when we're looking at, at nails, um, but as Jocelyn said, um, I use the dermatoscope when I'm looking at everything now, including the nails. Um, one difference when you're using a dermatoscope to look at the nails uh, as opposed to looking at the skin surface elsewhere is that you do have to have a fluid immersion between your dermatoscope and the nail itself. Um, I think hand sanitizer gel works the best and we all have that in our offices. Um, so you need to have that liquid interface when looking at the nail that you don't always have to have when you're looking at other structures. Uh, I think that it's really helpful to look at nail changes with the dermatoscope because it allows us to differentiate first and foremost what might actually be melanocytic pigment and a lesion that we're really worried about versus exogenous pigment that may have come from a fungal infection or a hematoma or a bacterial infection. So that first step of looking may show green pigment from a pseudomonas infection that allows us to have a lot of peace of mind and not have to biopsy something that might otherwise have concerned us because of a, a dark color. Um, and like a scalp biopsy, a nail biopsy is pretty traumatic. Um, it's difficult, it's more timely than a regular skin biopsy. It has the potential to cause permanent damage to the nail plate. Uh, we usually have to do biopsies of uh, cells in the nail matrix, and those cells, if, there's, if they scar, they don't repair themselves normally, and so the nail plate can be permanently deformed. So being very selective in what we biopsy is important. So the first step, I think, of using the dermatoscope for the nails is just to differentiate what may be truly melanocytic pigment from exogenous. Um, once we've gone down that, that, route, that road and decided something perhaps is melanocytic and might need a biopsy, um, it can be really hard to differentiate a melanoma from a benign nevus, even with dermoscopy. So I think one of the important things is to use dermoscopy as an adjunct to your history, to your physical exam. So when you're looking at a patient with nail pigmented lesions, if it's happening in many nails, it's gonna be more reassuring that it's actually not a melanoma uh, and you may be able to spare a biopsy. And we talked about a number of reasons that can happen like medication changes or ethnic pigmentation. Um, but if it's a single streak of pigment in one nail, I should say not a single streak, but only one nail that's affected uh, and it's a new change in an adult, you're pretty much always going to biopsy, even if you're seeing sort of light colors with your dermoscopic examination of the nail. So there's still somewhat of an ugly duckling sign when we're looking at nails as well. Absolutely. So that's a good pearl to take home. As you're educating different providers in this type of utilization of the dermatoscope, is there any resources that you recommend that they use to help adjunct their learning? So there are definitely, there are great textbooks out there, um, and there are also fantastic websites. And I think that's probably the most helpful because you can access them wherever you are. There are apps that you can down download. Um, 
DermNets, which is the uh, New Zealand uh, website, has a terrific course on dermoscopy that anybody can use. Uh, so that's a terrific one. Um, National meetings often will have courses such as the one for the derm PAs, um, but most uh, very large dermatology uh, meetings will have some subset of courses related to dermoscopy because this has been an addition to practice that when Jenny and I were residents was really just coming around. So for all of us, this is something that we're adding to our practice with bits and uh, education here and there and just kind of on the job learning and training ourselves. So um, I, I agree. I think some of the online courses, websites, apps are really helpful. Um, I think that the real challenge to teach ourselves and kind of train our eyes to learn from our practice. So really taking pictures and making records of what I thought it was and why I thought it was has been helpful, but also always forcing ourselves to compare and contrast images that we might see on a website. So we can really say why we thought that shape of something was the finding it was versus something else. So I think really always forcing ourselves to differentiate is important. And I think we're always still learning. We're learning this in the clinical setting and I still learn new things every week from doing this, looking at my notes and looking at my biopsy reports and my patients. So it's really an ongoing process. It's really daunting, I think, at first to pick up that dermatoscope because we read about all these terms that are kind of nonsensical unless you're the person who defined them. Um, one person's oak leaf or ash leaf, uh, maybe Spoke somebody wheel, else's globule, clod, clod glob, globule, blob. There's, there's so many terms that it's a little bit daunting. Um, but I think that you know, the more you repeat your exams, looking at lesions that you may know the diagnosis of beforehand even, uh, something really straightforward like a, a hemangioma or a seborrheic keratosis, looking at those, looking for features, and then uh, repeating this over and over again, the easier it becomes. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it and you've been a wealth of knowledge. From Dermcast TV, this is Amber. Thank you for watching.